John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1412MT1225, certificate number 15899, Washington, CSA. Sounds like a CBS procedural show. <laughs> My parents love Washington CSA. They just, Harper Valley CSA. They just love Jimmy Smith and Gary Sinise solving those crimes. CSA, in this case, referring to the Confederate States of America, am I right? CSA, that's the only CSA I know. Yep. What if Washington, D.C. were part of the, were the capital of the Confederacy? That's kind of the subject of today's show. Boy, it, it kind of could have been, right? Very easily. I... Um, you know, the, if America exists in the in the future, which is maybe the biggest if you could you can start a podcast with. I mean, it's a it's a big if, but I think there are bigger ifs. For example, well, if the world continues to exist, if the world continues to spin around, Ken, do you ever think of that? Makes you think. Yeah. <laughs> I think the world is more likely to continue to spin around than uh, than the United States. America continuing as a global power. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, it, it'll be hard for people to understand in the future, that, but we are living in an era where there's routine headlines every week or two in which the sitting president of the United States refuses to say if he will step down if he loses an election. Yeah, that's that's been the that's been his recent uh, little tick, isn't it? That's it? And I think it's mostly for show. Yeah, I mean— But still. Th- th- there have been— there have been millions of people in the United States complicit in his flouting of the Constitution and the rule of law in a way that, I have to say, just shows a lot of pluck and spirit. Good for that. Yeah, but um, but we do have some systems in place for peaceful transfer of power, and I don't think Those, that— They're not in particular jeopardy. No, and I don't, I don't think that there—I don't think millions of people are going to agree that what the United States needs is a— uh, a dictator who who decides whether or not the election is valid. I wonder if there's polling personally. numbers. I wonder if there's polling numbers. I wonder if you asked people, should the president step down? I mean, if he's defeated, I bet you could get. I bet you could get twenty five to thirty percent of Americans to say no, he shouldn't. There are thirty percent of the people th- in any poll that appear to answer in the affirmative. If you said, if uh, uh, do you think Donald Trump should drink your brains through your nostrils uh, with a metal straw? 
Yes or no? 35% will say, yes, absolutely. He should drink my brains through a, through a straw. I don't know who those 30% are, but then I don't know what a swing voter is. Like, who are the apparently millions of people that right now can't decide who they're going to vote for? They're still waiting to read the article that convinces them. Or even more unli- uh, unlikely sounding, the ones who uh, were totally uh, swayed by Trump in 2016, but are now back to being comfortable Biden dads, right? Like They exist. Can you imagine? They exist. Hey, he had some good ideas in 2016, but now I feel like, I mean, there are plenty of people that support the cops, right? And they're going to support the cops. They're going to support the military. Sort of irrespective of other feelings about issues. But if the cops are against moms. Are you really going to pick? They also support moms. So what are you going to do? It's going to be like the Star Trek computer that goes crazy. Does not compute. Beep, 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 beep. I, I like cops. I like moms. Beep, 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 beep. I mean, from, my, from where I'm coming from, moms are going to win every time. Well, sure. There are going to be plenty of people that are like, "Ah, cops are. How are you going to have moms without cops?" Is what they're going to say, and I'm going to say, "How do you have cops without moms?" I think it's quite possible to have moms without cops. I have a mom, and I don't have a cop. Hmm. All right. Uh, Some people have two moms, and they those people really they don't have two cops. Hmm. That's a. I mean, unless they're they're being raised by two lesbian cops, and I'm sure that's a thing. It absolutely is a thing. In fact, I have a subscription to a magazine about it. (laughs) it's just not a good look in a democracy to have the head of the executive branch saying he's not sure. He hasn't decided if he's going to respect the election. That's the kind of thing you hear more often from, from generalissimos. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go through the last four years and look, uh, take out just the ones that are really bad looks for democracies, it also would be a magazine subscription. It's, uh, but the 1860 election was kind of, a crazy powder keg of a kind that, uh, you know, maybe the last one of those between in American history. You Where know? it was like the, the country could break up over this. Yeah. Like, and there were a few of those. There were literally some crazy, there were, there were, I guess, 1876. There were a series of odd 19th century elections where stuff happened that would just leave your jaw on the ground if it happened today. Elections being decided in the House of Representatives and, uh, and so forth. But 1860 was a particularly weird powder keg. Um, I'm uh, I'm not friends with, but I'm, I guess I'm friends of a friend with. What's the What's the singular of friend friend of a? I'm a friend of a friend. I'm a friend of, of a friend of of uh, a historian named uh, Ted Widmer. He was a speech writer for Bill Clinton. He uh, hmm. on foreign policy during his first term, and now he's a historian. And he got shanghaied by a, a friend into doing a series of, of kind of web webinars about Abraham Lincoln. Cause he just finished a book about Lincoln's uh, election and his journey to Washington for his inauguration called Lincoln on the verge, which it turns out is again, right, right from the middle of this fascinating powder keg, because obviously Lincoln's election is the, the last straw that, that kicks off secession in the American Civil War. Although the argument is that secession was sort of an inevitability. Lincoln was just the the pretext. Right. Uh, it, you know, it, there had been decades of, of crises over just this essential American conflict or incongruity, which is... Uh, 
a slave South versus a free North. And then really the, the crux of it, which Ted talks a lot about is, is the westward expansion. Right. Um, the 1860 election, I was looking at an electoral map, and it's funny just to see Oregon and California floating out there after a sea of, of non-voting territories. You know, it's the, California was a state in 1850. This was the first election in which Oregon can vote. So suddenly the, the center of American power is moving west, and this was a threat to the south. I mean, it's really hard to overstate how central the slave south was to American power structures at the time. It wasn't just kind of a genteel backwater. They controlled the American economy. They controlled the patronage system that put people in power. Washington was surrounded by Maryland and Virginia, two, two border states that allowed slavery. Um, so the political influence uh, of America was largely centered in the slave South. And in the 1860 election, President James Buchanan was not running again. He had, an, I mean, he had been a terrible president, but that's not why. He had announced in his inaugural, I'm not going to run again, which is an interesting gambit. That's bold. I guess James K. Polk had done it and been widely admired for it. Right. Um, and he was, Buchanan was a Northern Democrat, a, a slave, a slavery-friendly Northern Democrat. That's that's my Twitter bio. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and he was kind of trying to present himself in the James K. Polk mode of... Uh, you know, you, a man for all seasons. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do my bit for four years, but then it's it's more patriotic and and less self serving to right to I'm step just, away. I'm just here, and so I'm not going to distract the country for the second half of my term with a with a long campaign. I'm going to use my four years to just do my job. That's true. That's one advantage. Even back then, campaigning was a, a chunk of a of a president's time. Um, which meant the incumbent was not going to run for president. So the Democrats did not have a candidate. Um, Stephen Douglas, who had kind of famously run for the Senate against Abraham Lincoln in Illinois earlier, uh, was the favorite for the Democratic nomination. Lincoln, by the way, was on nobody's radar. Mm-hmm. He, 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 was, he had lost that Senate race to Stephen Douglas. And so his resume is pretty much former House Candidate. of Representatives, yeah, for, former congressman. Right. He, was a, he had been to the House of Representatives for Illinois. I have and a, that's it. I have a... Uh, uh, all the Lincoln-Douglas debates in a volume, uh, several volumes that were owned by my grandfather or great grandfather, maybe. Do you think he sat around reading the Lincoln-Douglas? I debates? think it was a. I think it was a thing that you know you'd, you'd you'd pull up next to the fire after dinner and say, "Grandpa, can you read us some of the Lincoln-Douglas debates?" So when the Republicans convened, they had no prospects of nominating Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he's like the guy. You know how sometimes in the debate today, there's one person in the primary debate who doesn't have a good resume, you know, it's like Senator, governor, governor, Senator. And then it's like former CEO, Godfather's pizza, Herman Cain or, or, or whatever, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> former ambassador, right? Like, uh, and, and they, they always give them their best title. Like that was his high watermark. Yeah. CEO, Godfather's pizza. Yeah. But that was Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> he got straight A's at Princeton, <laughs> but that was Lincoln in 1860. He was former Congressman Abraham Lincoln. But Running all, against some heavyweights. All the Republicans who everyone assumed would get the nomination, William Seward, Salmon P. Chase, it turned out by virtue of being so prominent, they also had enemies in, right. the, in the party and in the country. So it was one of these conventions where as big name after big name proceeded to be unviolable, everyone started looking for someone inoffensive and tabula rasa enough that they would not get blackballed. This was Marco Rubio's strategy in 2016, and it was... Be, uh, be so dull that... 
<laughs> it's true. Everyone was just kind of waiting for Trump to implode. Sure, just stand around and be the last one standing. It turned out it didn't work, but it did work for uh, it did work for Lincoln. And the result, the odd thing about the 1860 election is that there were four candidates who each won state electors. Huh. Uh, Lincoln did now. Was he, there not a primary system? There was, but it was a turbulent time. Mm -hmm. The Democrats uh, convened in Baltimore to nominate, uh, sorry, in Ch China, Chad. No, I'm right. It was Baltimore. The first convention. So the Democrats tried to convene in Baltimore to nominate their candidate and immediately got, got bogged down about whether it should be kind of a, a northern moderate like Stephen Douglas or whether it should be a, a pro-slavery southern fire eater, yeah. as they called their as they called their um, their virulently slave-friendly senators. Right. Take it to the hoop was their mentality. They were literally fire eaters from circuses. Yeah. Mm. They swallowed swords. <laughs> they handled snakes. Um and as a result, the South walked out of the convention. And so the Democrats were left holding a Northern convention in, oh, no, I think it was Charleston. I think the first one was in Charleston. Then the North, the, after that failed, the Southerners reconvened in Richmond. The Northerners reconvened in Baltimore. And the Northern Democrats nominated Stephen Douglas, while the Southern Democrats nominated uh, James Buchanan's vice president. John Breckinridge. And then the Whig party, which had the anti-immigrant that kind of turned into the anti-immigration know-nothings, they had splintered as well. And their Southern uh, core, the Southern half of the Whig party had formed a new party called the Constitutional Union Party. So there's four candidates, each with a different slavery platform. Right. Sure. Well, you know, there's a lot of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, they're also diverse. None of them are abolitionists. Not a single one of the four candidates is running to abolish slavery. Right. Because uh, the perception was you could not you could not go up against the South at this time. Third rail of American politics. Right. Don't touch <laughs> don't touch slavery. That no, that no. thing we all love. Slavery. I guess we should be very clear, John. You and I are against chattel slavery. In case anyone is listening and cannot detect the satire and sarcasm in our voices when we say that we love slavery, let me be explicit. We do not love slavery or tolerate it even. Like it, defend it, nothing, we do none of these. Nothing slavery adjacent we passes muster with us. 100% not only against slavery, but against uh, against any institution of slavery or modern slavery, historical slavery. I can't think of a slavery that I would support. Uh, unfortunately, all your major political parties- Sex slavery. In 1860. Is that, is that your exception or is that- I mean, I mean, consensual sex slavery. It's not really slavery then, is it? Well, it's like, you know, I don't know, role-playing. If anybody's saying master, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's like— I'm against when Barbara Eden said master on I Dream of Genie. That's how uncomfortable be. I am. That's one of the best versions of— <laughs> <laughs> I know it's your ringtone. <laughs> so if you were—let's uh, say it's 1860, and you are an American who, like us, finds slavery repugnant. Yes. There is no one to vote for. Even the Republicans, the party of abolition, are merely saying slavery cannot expand into the West. Cannot expand into the West. That's right. That was where they were going to draw the line. They they had no, they had no intention or conception of prohibiting or eliminating or or um, uh, outlawing slavery in the extant United States. They just didn't want to admit 
new new states states as slave states. And in fact, they wanted to make it illegal for slavery to be practiced in the territories. Right. Slavery, we're embarrassed by this throwback. We're hoping it'll kind of wither and die on its own as long as it doesn't expand westward. And the South knows this. The South agrees 100%. So Texas joined the Union in 1845 as a slave state, right? And this is like the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Is that what is happening here? Yeah, we've got the the results of the Kansas-Nebraska Act and the Missouri Compromise, all of which are not really great compromises. All of them are concessions to the South's temper tantrum, like there needs to be slavery in the West in some form. Right. And they know it's because... Their days are numbered as the axis of American power moves away from the agricultural South into the, the booming West, which right. is, you know, into which immigrants are flooding in. And those are voters. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that is going to, that's the death knell for slavery if it can't expand. So it's a, it's a, it's a fair play by the Republican party to say, we're going to leave it alone and let it die on its own by confining it to the Mississippi, uh, to East of the Mississippi river. The, but interestingly, the Democrat, the Northern Democrats, led by Stephen Douglas, are also not pro-slavery. Their their uh, their platform is popular sovereignty. Each state can decide. Each new state out of the union needs to decide right. if it's a free state popular or a slave science. state. States, states rights. rights. Love it. Uh, he doesn't love it. No, I don't love it. He's against. He's against the implication of the phrase "states rights." Although there is a kind of the funny inversion going on now, where I, I do agree that the state of Oregon, for example, should be able to. Determine whether or not it has federal agents running yeah, to, to the streets. To determine whether or not right. the border patrol agency is patrolling the border of, of what? Of the courthouse so, steps. Yeah, Portland and, and uh, the Pearl District. But you do not believe that every American state should be able to determine whether or not slavery, slavery is, is, legal. is legal or illegal. I've decided to draw the line right there. Okay, 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 good. So no. Uh, if you're following along, if you're playing omnibus bingo at home, you, you will not get the Ken approves of slavery piece. And it's the middle, so you're done. Uh, John Breckenridge, Vice President Breckenridge, uh, believes in the Alabama platform. That's the Southern Democrats' dream platform, the fire eaters. Uh, slavery forever, basically. Slavery Sla- everywhere forever. Slavery can be a- anywhere in the West it wants to be. And in fact, right. it, it should be against the law for the government to prohibit uh, slavery in any part of the territories. Okay. And then we've got John Bell, our former Whig of the Constitutional Union Party. Uh, they cannot come up with a slavery platform, and they punt. They, really? They, they, slavery is not a plank in their platform. Really? They, they are neutral on slavery. They're just gonna. They're just gonna ignore ignore it, and that's kind of an interesting way to go. Their take is secession is bad, so they're anti-secession. Right. And that turns out to be. I think that's kind of a, pl- a ploy for voters because uh, John Bell wins all the border states. Which right. is more worried about secession than it is about any particular, and that it is invested in any particular outcome on abolition. Interesting. Um, so if you look at this electoral map, it's super industry, interesting. Stephen Douglas, you know, who we think of as you know Lincoln's rival and the the Democrats, you know, the the he's the he's the nominee of the incumbent party. He wins a single state, Missouri. And then, oh, Missouri, the 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 weirdest of all swing states. Or the, and then a few, yeah, exactly. Right. Until recently, a reliable bellwether, but no other state. He has a few electors in New Jersey, which was kind of the Maine or Nebraska of its time. Mm-hmm. New Jersey could elect individ, uh, electors individually. So Nebraska, or sorry, New Jersey had four Lincoln electors and three Douglas. Except for that, Douglas is almost completely swept. John Bell wins the border states. Breckenridge solidly takes the South. Uh, Lincoln does have enough electoral votes to win even against the United Opposition. So Breckinridge's like all slavery all the time 
policy sweeps Texas sweeps to, the South, Texas to Georgia. So they are uh, in 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 that voting uh, pattern are communicating to the rest of the nation, like f you. We're going all in on this. We're not making any compromises. The South was ready to go, and they had won every staring match until then. The North had right. blinked on everything. Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri compromise, everything. They had the heft to make it happen, but but they knew that it was shaky because of the West. Like Lincoln won Oregon and California. Right. Uh, Lincoln won only 39%, however, of the popular vote, even though he had an easy electoral college win. Oh. That's the lowest in the history of... Of uh, U.S. presidential elections. lower even than George uh, George W. Bush, thirty nine percent. Yeah, what's uh? Ooh. Whoa. You're talking about Bush Gore. Yeah, forty eight percent. Wow. So what you're saying is the example in American history of the worst of the where <laughs> the electoral college went the furthest against the American popular opinion was the election of Abraham Lincoln. It's. Uh, I mean. It, the fact that there are two additional candidates skews that. Yeah. But yes. Wow. The candidate that the fewest Americans wanted to vote for, <laughs> or the smallest percentage of Americans wanted to vote for. If you were going to make the, a case the, that the Electoral College did not reflect the will of the people, your your uh, your Exhibit A would be Abraham Lincoln. Except that the Electoral College gave us Abraham Lincoln. Right. So, yeah. they gave us Donald Trump, they gave us Abraham Lincoln. There you go. So. Both sides. So and Link- I say, I'm, that's sardonic. So, I do not believe both sides. Of the slavery question. <laughs> so Lincoln wins this incredibly, in this incredibly divisive circumstance where only four out of 10 Americans have voted for him. 60% of Americans do not want this guy elected. And South Carolina has like immediately seceded. So as, uh, and back then inauguration didn't happen until March. So you've got these four months of limbo. And in December 1861, rumors begin to fly in and outside of Washington that uh, something bad is coming. Essentially, a coup is coming. A coup. I mean, again, Washington in the District of Columbia is located in the southern United States because Maryland and Virginia are both border states but slave states. Two-thirds of the residents of Washington, D.C. are in favor of secession. Interesting. So the country is about to be splintered in half, and the national capital is in favor of secession. Uh, in our in our current day, Washington D.C. is a is a um, is a largely African American city. It's forty five percent African American uh, versus only thirty six percent non Hispanic whites. Um, so that in eighteen sixty though. Would have been um, would 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 black voters in Washington D.C. in 1860 have had the vote? Uh, no, before the uh, the Fifteenth Amendment passed, after the Civil War, uh, only a handful of Northern states had ever given free blacks the right to vote: uh, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And New Jersey and Pennsylvania had withdrawn. The, the the franchise from black voters in 1807 and 1838, respectively. So it didn't matter how many black folks were in the District of Columbia at the time. Well, and looking they here, were not being polled and they were not voting. In 1860, the population of of DC was 75,000, 60,000 whites, 14,000 blacks, 11,000 of whom were free, and 3,000 of whom were enslaved. 
So, so in this city of uh, generally pro-secessionist, pro-South, anti-abolition people, rumors were flying about what might happen now that this crazy, unknown Western abolitionist was was coming to Washington to to take over a, what was clear to be a, a powder keg in a shattered country. Right. Um, a senator from Texas was accused of plotting to kidnap James Buchanan. Because keep in mind, Buchanan's vice president, John Breckinridge, is the pro-slavery challenger that the South wants to see installed. Right. So it's very easy to imagine a scenario where you, you try to get the sitting vice president installed by virtue of... For example, kidnapping Kidnap James president. Buchanan. Why right? didn't they just kill Buchanan? And then <laughs> then, uh, then Breckinridge could assume the presidency and then what? Refuse to uh, acknowledge the results of the election? Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. So you, what you need to do is to um, not certify the 1860 election. But the fact that you're de- the default guy, the, the constitutional next up guy would have been the preferred Southern candidate on the Alabama platform made that very tempting to Southerners. Hmm. Um, but you don't want to do that to James Buchanan, our first gay president. No. We're not advocating the assassination of James Buchanan. No. In fact, I'm going to go on record and say, neither Ken nor I want any time-traveling futurelings to go back and kill James Buchanan. Do we joke about it? Are we satirically, sarcastically referring sometimes to the assassination of James Buchanan? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do we yeah, recommend we do. it? No. No. No, no, no. No, of course not. There's no. a, that's a huge gap. Get in line with the other time travelers to go kill baby Hitler. There, But there are a ton of Southern militias for whom Washington is a very tempting military target. Uh, former Governor of Virginia, Henry Wise. This is all from Ted's book, Lincoln on the Verge, which I really recommend. Fascinating snapshot of the time. He really makes the history come alive. In his view, he, uh, he, he takes a, a very... Uh, kind of heroic view of Lincoln as a great writer, great thinker, guy in the right place at the right time. And I think he takes some some hits for that in academia, mm-hmm. where it's not it's not fashionable to say that no. a, a clearly great guy is a great guy. No, What's, no, no. You that's, not have... an, that's not an interesting or, uh, or counterintuitive take. You want to have a take where it turns out that Lincoln was a child molester or a, or a, or a mason or an, a, an UFO. Right. Yeah. But he is bravely pro-Lincoln, and uh, it's a very good book. Uh, the, so Henry Wise, the former governor of Virginia, is pushing for, for an invasion of Washington. The Richmond Inquirer says Virginians need to rise up and prevent the inauguration. Uh, even pro-slavery newspapers in the North, like in New York, say that uh, Southerners need to save the Republic of Washington from the taint of, this is a new word to me, N-wordism. They did not write N-wordism, but I, I'm not familiar with the noun form. But huh. that, that's what they would call abolition. In, in pro-slavery oh, circles. Okay. Isn't that awful? Yeah. <laughs> and to physically expel Lincoln and his free N-word horde from the federal district. So, mm-hmm. so you know, the starkest possible language. Um, and, people so, are, and people are openly bragging that it would be easy to raise hundreds of thousands of people and to just absorb the District of Columbia into... Maryland or Virginia, the same kind of thing Lindsey Graham is saying today. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise was that dissolving the union was the greatest evil. And it would be much easier. Much easier to stage a coup d'etat. For the South to just take over the existing government. Um, Even though there was, a, there, there was contemporaneous with this a, a burgeoning movement in the South to just leave 
the United States and form their own nation. Sure, but you could, you could, they, they thought they could forestall all that if you could just keep Lincoln right. from taking power. The governor of Maryland addresses his people in January 1861 saying that they should not take part in these violent schemes to, se- to seize the federal capital and the public archives. Uh, William Seward heard rumors. Henry Adams wrote that the plan, the among the planners of the coup were members of the Buchanan cabinet. Okay. So it's one of these born identity. This goes all the way to the top. Right. Conspiracies, and you can see why the South would prefer this to secession. You would get the capital. Yeah. You would get the American flag. The imprimatur of... You would get the mint and the Library of Congress. You'd get every treaty and seal and map and symbol. And you would be able to say, we're now the United States. We can prove it. It's it's on the flag. Right. It's Maine and Connecticut that are the outliers. All those people up there in in, uh, Massachusetts... The Capitol was currently being renovated by. Uh, you, you've seen the pictures during the Civil War. The Capitol dome is all yeah with the scaffolding half on it. there. Yeah, uh, the renovation was being overseen by a Mississippi senator named Jefferson Davis. Oh, heard of him? Who was very uh, aware of the importance of national symbols, and so did he. Like, did he put swastikas all in all, in all the grout as they as he was restoring? There's the- little tiny <laughs> statues of Nathan Bedford Forrest, <laughs> even though he hadn't done anything yet. Uh, and, and so he had his eye on, you know, he, as the guy overseeing the Capitol, he's obviously thinking, you know, instead of, instead of seceding and governing from Montgomery, Alabama, sure. you know, the White House would be a lot really nice. nicer. His, it looks like a house in Montgomery, Alabama, actually. His wife, his, <laughs> that's right. His wife, Verena, is on record as telling friends in New York that she hoped they would visit her there after her husband took over the White House in the spring. So there's accounts of Verena Davis already telling people, yeah, we'll be in the White House come... No, how did Jefferson spring. Davis get? He wasn't one of the candidates. He's already he's already the uh, apparently the de facto president s- president of, of the secession of the secessionist South. Oh, I see. I guess how how did they anoint him? How was he anointed with this uh, this great honor? From what I can tell, Davis was just an overwhelmingly uh, beloved figure in all of the South, both as a as a military figure. Uh, you know, he'd been. Secretary of War under Franklin Pierce and was a hero of the Mexican-American War. Right. Uh, so his his political and military credentials were such that he was obviously a front runner for the job. And as soon as Mississippi seceded, he wired the governor and said, "You know, I'm coming home. Do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? Do you want me to be the general of the armies of the South? Or you know, he he was willing to. Yeah, he understood his duty was to to leave the United States and become a leader of the. Of the revolution. And, you know, it just reminds me of... Turns out he wasn't that good of a president. Not a great president. Yeah. Like a lot of these 19th century generals, it turns out that's not the best, you know, just leading one heroic charge against the Mexicans or whatever. Right. It turns out is not a... <laughs> just like, it's just like, you Doesn't know... Doesn't make you a good administrator. Just like hosting a reality show, yeah. Yeah. Ken, we've been talking for a while about having... More merchandise available for futurelings. We have had really good intentions about that, I would say, for years. And a lot of futurelings want to rep the show. They want to be out there in their own communities saying, Omnibus, yo-yo, Omnibus. And uh, we've been forcing them to make their own t-shirts and hats. They have to put signs on their backs that say, Omnibus, ask me how. That's right. Uh, They they spray paint Omnibus on their computer terminals or laptops and they're... Well, their coworkers used to say, "What's that mean?" 
And now they just have omnibus-themed Zoom backgrounds. All that is about to change. We are finally getting serious about shirts with other merch TK in time for the holidays. That's right. We've partnered with our friends at Meh uh, to design not just two new t-shirts, but two new t-shirt designs every month going forward. In October, we are starting out with the Omnibus and Futurelings shirt designs that longtime fans may remember from the last time we got our act together, uh, well over, what, a year and a half ago. I don't remember those t-shirt designs. Can you can you refresh my memory? <laughs> one of them says Omnibus in the yellow logo, kind That's of distressed nice. looking on black. It's cool. That's cool. The other one says Futureling with a series of uh, possible uh, listener forelimbs, oh, yeah. claws, are, and tentacles, and robot hands. Those are great. And I know a lot in. of people that didn't get a chance to get those shirts when they were originally available have asked for reprints. So that's nice. So those are coming back on mediocrity.com slash omnibus. That's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E-E, mediocrity with a T-E-E at the end. Courtesy of our friend uh, Dave at Meh, who owns my styrofoam head and and made us tell stories about our childhoods. So these new shirts, uh, this first run of shirts will be available until November 1st, at which point a new run of shirts will be available. So that's just in time for the holiday season. These are soft, high-quality shirts available in sizes uh, small through triple uh, XL for women, quadruple XL for men. Uh they are great-looking shirts. Uh, the Futureling shirt is drawn by me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, not each one. I don't have that kind of time. No, but I remember I remember you submitting that design to me and me going, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Stop sure. talking to me about stuff. Sure. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> and then the other one is our, uh, is our famous uh, Omnibus uh, like Fallout Shelter logo. So head on over to Mediocrity, that's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E dot com slash Omnibus, and check out the new designs uh, all October, and then with more to come uh, every month going forward. It reminds me today of when sports teams move cities, and there's always a lot of discussion over who gets the history, right? Right. Who gets the symbols, the trophies, the championships, the retired jerseys. Uh, like, it's still an open question, I think, when the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. I remember there was a, a certain amount of time by which if Seattle got a new franchise, they could keep... The, 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 the 79 title, the, right. the team name, the colors, and so forth. Uh, and now I think that, you know, that... All that there, stuff there, went into a dumpster, right? There was a twilight clause, you know, and now I think Oklahoma City has all that stuff. And, and, if, and if Seattle were ever to be awarded an NBA franchise, there would have to be some kind of arrangement made with the Oklahoma City owners, just, you know, joint... Because any new team here would be the Supersonics and would have green and yellow jerseys. Right. Can so, we get just get our trophy back, please? So there would have to be some arrangement over, you know, and this, the Thunder, of course, would want joint ownership of the 79 trophy and the retired uh, Jack Sigma jersey or, or whatever it is. And it's just like that with the Confederacy. They don't want to be the new expansion franchise out of out of Montgomery, Alabama. Right, of course not. Well, just the trade deals alone. Because I sure. think, you know, the South's strategy was that, I mean, they felt that the that their relationship with England as a trade partner was so strong, so great that England couldn't exist without... England would choose them as the successor right. state. England, yeah. England needed the tobacco and the cotton and so would never would never go against the South. And, and think how much easier a call that would have been for England if that is, you know, of Jefferson Davis's country is flying the American flag yeah. and from the all, capital. If all those deals are already written down, uh, England wouldn't have had to do anything. And in, instead, of course, England didn't do what the South expected. 
and didn't, um, you know, didn't flout the blockades, but. And in, in Widmer's mind, this would have been a very easy invention. Washington, of course, is Washington DC is 0 for 1 in repelling foreign invasion. <laughs> That's right. At this time. Uh, the American War of 1812. The American army is only 13,000 men, and almost all of them are like in F troop style forts on the frontier. Right, sure. Um, there's, a, there's only two ships at anchor in the Navy ready to go. And one of them had already sailed to Africa. So half the Navy is, <laughs> is on a mission to Africa. Uh, all told, Washington, D.C. has about 500 troops available to defend the whole city. Wow. And another 500 that could be called up. And of course, none of the loyalty, to, you know, it's impossible to say that any of these troops are loyal to Abraham Lincoln. No, right, uh, of course. And, and all, all it would have taken is, uh, I mean, you could get that many guys just standing around in Richmond to walk up the road. It would be right? so easy to raise an army of thousands of men in, in Northern Virginia and march on Washington. There were militias already organized that could have joined forces and done it. So what happened? Uh, the, 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 this is great. The Colombian army where all the arms in Washington, D.C. were stored was guarded by a grand total of two men. The armory. Yeah, the armory had two guards. A guy at the front door and a guy at the back door. And at the Navy Yard, they're worried that uh, you could wait across the Potomac. They were worried about people just walking across and taking over the city. Uh, and so the plan would have been, you know, make sure we just capture the city in early 61 before Lincoln could be inaugurated. Assemble Congress, expel the Northerners from Congress, huh. uh, get South Carolina back in the Union, and then you know decertify Lincoln's election and make Jefferson Davis or John Breckinridge or whoever president of the of the new all slave all the time United States of America. So the idea was that there would be a a, a schism in America, but rather the rather than that the South secede, it would be that the North was expelled. You force the North to secede. So Lincoln would event would be leading a government in exile from. Brooklyn, Vermont, Ohio, you right. know, Springfield, Illinois, who knows where, uh, and having to protest, no, 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 we're actually the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against all evidence to the contrary. I mean, it seems like it would have been a genius move for the Confederacy. Uh, you could even do it without militias, uh, Widmer points out, um, because... The, certifying the election hinges on, you know, boxes of of, of votes of, of electors' uh, pledges or whatever, which are uh, under the care of none other than John Breckinridge, who is the sitting vice president. So, you know, as as vice president and president of the Senate, Breckinridge is the one who has the boxes. Right. He could just dump those Massachusetts boxes right in the Potomac. There, there's a ton of precedent in weird 19th century elections to just say, oh, there was a miscount. We actually, you know, it. it it happened to it happened to Andrew Jackson. Just just start the horse trading and and figure it out. You could also just assassinate Abraham Lincoln. But uh, but it, and, uh, and we're not in favor of this. I no no no. Please do not do that. Take the take the amount of antipathy I would have towards assassinating James Buchanan and at least double it. Yeah, maybe quadruple it. But um, especially amazing that Lincoln had no. Lincoln was not beloved by anyone. He had no impeccable reputation. He was not, he didn't have um, like a whole block of, of support. Even abolitionists were crazy about him. Like even Frederick Douglass was like, this guy's not anti-slavery enough. Right. You know, he has no, um, he's like, what, a, what do you call it? Uh, a bona fides. What's it called? Your, your, uh, 
the people who are behind you represent your constituency. Constituency. He had no real constituency. Not just among the people, but among the power players, among the philosophers. So his life was seriously in danger. In December of 1860, the Chicago Tribune reported that $40,000 had been raised in New Orleans to hire assassins to kill Abraham Lincoln. Huh. I That's mean, just in the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, can you imagine just opening the <laughs> Tribune? It's like, well, they're hmm. trying to kill the president elect again. Yeah. Wonder if I can get in on that. Gambling, I mean, it was so it was such a uh gambling houses were even laying odds. They were taking bets on the odds that Lincoln would uh would live to see his own inauguration. So did did Lincoln uh, did he go into hiding or did he put on a brave face and make public appearances standing on soapboxes everywhere he went? Did he put himself in harm's way or did he like, you know, uh, kind of keep out of sight? People were worried for him. You know, he had secretaries and assistants keeping him apprised of all this stuff, but he did not, uh, you know, he didn't duck the public eye. You know, he, he, with pomp and circumstance, he rode a series of trains, the inaugural express from Illinois to Washington, D.C., um, kind of winding through Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, looks like Massachusetts and Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, Did, Delaware. Didn't it, really go down to Alabama, uh, no. Mississippi, South Carolina. <laughs> There's part of the country missing from the, he almost, he barely dips almost to Kentucky when he's going between Indiana and Ohio. But there's, you know, brass bands playing and crowds cheering and, you know, a series of shiny new red locomotives everywhere for him. He he did not duck the public eye. Um, but just this kind of commonplace thinking that, oh, I bet they're going to kill this guy. It really reminds me of something I've only seen once in my life, which is all the recent headlines about Jeffrey... Epstein and uh, oh right, the, and uh, what's her name? Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell. That that uh, as soon as she was arrested, they were like, oh, she'll be she'll die of suicide. She'll mysteriously disappear at some point. Uh, everyone just kind of took it for granted that this was very easily going to happen. And you asked why nothing happened, and the answer is pretty much up to one person, uh, Winfield Scott. Oh, Winfield Scott. Winfield Scott was kind of the leading American military figure of the time, kind of a a hero that everybody could get behind. I don't even know. We don't really have that, right? Oh, it used to be, what was it? Norman Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf and then for, like, was... for like three or four years, it was Schwarzkopf. Yeah. And I guess until recently, you've got Colin, Pow- Colin Powell appearing Colin every four Powell. years and, and telling us about his grave reservations about whatever the Pentagon or the Republican candidate is doing. Yeah, the, um, we, 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 do, we do maintain... Um, in the public sphere, there's a slot for one general, um, and sometimes that slot goes unfilled. Like right now, uh, there's no—I mean, the generals are all just keeping their heads down. But but there there we still have a place in politics for the army. Winfield Scott, a Mexican uh, War veteran and unsuccessful presidential candidate, uh, had been born in 1786. So he was in his 70s. He was older than the city of Washington itself. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson was the one who gave him his his interview when he when he joined the, the army. That's, you know, that's how long he'd been on the scene. He was a Virginian, which helped, but he was very, very pro-union. He was not in favor of secession. And even though he was too old to mount a horse, he was, by this time, he was called old fuss and feathers. <laughs> uh, what was his slavery posture? 
He was in favor of the union, but did he take a did he t- have a take on slavery? Yeah, when he was a contender for the Whig presidential nominations in the 1840s, his he, he was the candidate of the anti-slavery oh. uh, forces. Well so he, done. He was not a slaveholder, and you know, as, as far as you could be, I, mean, I doubt he was any kind of fiery abolitionist. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's as close to being on the right side of the issue as you could be in the 1840s and be in Virginia, I guess. Um, so uh, he led uh, the effort to fortify Washington. Uh, when he took over, m- many army officers were actually defending Washington against the North. They were essentially giving guns to Southern militias, but not to any companies that might have defended the city against invasion. So he started uh, recruiting new volunteers and uh, drilling them, just kind of regular Washington citizens, firefighters and and masons and so forth, and uh, kind of created a sense that there was a military presence in Washington. And his officers always felt that without that, Lincoln never would have been inaugurated. And he was doing that on his own recognizance, or um, was he employed? No, this was this was what the War Department wanted him to do. Okay. For, you know, he 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 wasn't volunteering. Uh-huh. He had been assigned to take over a tricky situation. I wonder if this is the kind of thing where you know, just like today, we see the Pentagon. You know, it's not like the Pentagon is a great force for world stability. I'm not going to say that, but you will often see just kind of the institutional inertia of the Pentagon pushing back against crazy stuff that politicians say and do. Right. Right. It's a, it, the, the tradition dictates so much in terms of you can't, as the president, just call the army to your knee. You asked about at what moment Jefferson Davis kind of became the, the heir apparent of this kind of, uh, country in embryo of mm-hmm. the South, as opposed to John Bre- Breckenridge. Uh, in Widmer's book, he cites several sources as saying that on January 5th, 1861, that was the turning point. Uh, a, a secret conclave of influential Southerners met at Jefferson Davis's house in Washington to figure out what the Confederacy would be. And their decision there was that they would try to take Washington, if possible, that uh, that Jefferson Davis would be the, the the president waiting in the wings, that the South would pretend to negotiate with the North over the new incoming administration, just kind of lulling everybody into thinking that there would be a, a diplomatic solution. But they would sabotage the incoming administration, and then on the morning of Lincoln's inaugural, they would have armies and cannon ready, and they would pour in from Northern Virginia and take over Washington on the morning of Lincoln's inaugural. When you think about it, the the decision to secede and then form an army and take up arms against the United States and immediately begin to k- try to capture Washington, why didn't they just do as you're describing and waltz into undefended Washington? with this scheme, what was the reason that they didn't pull this off? It's so much more diabolical and imaginative. I think part of the answer is Winfield Scott successfully fortifying 
Washington, D.C. and making an invasion not only militarily difficult, but also seem politically unwise to have to have the the American war hero leading the uh, the effort. But it was February 13th, 1861, which is when the House of Representatives was meeting to to validate Lincoln's election. And this everybody knew this was the vulnerable moment right there. The Baltimore Sun was reporting that maybe the Capitol building would be blown up. Oh. That they were checking the basement every night for bombs. Uh, everybody assumed that there was some conspiracy in line to uh, to stop the link, the stop Lincoln's succession, uh, and a bunch of kind of uh, angry outsiders, ruffians had had poured into the city and were just loitering outside, spoiling for a fight. Uh, Winfield Scott posted army guards at the entrance of the Capitol. And made sure that only and this was a time when you could just waltz into federal buildings, yeah, right? right. Walk, walk into the White House and up the stairs, use the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I used to do. But now I won't have not uh, a, until you, the eighties. You can't do it in Portland today. <laughs> I mean, but you know, and he made sure there was guns and ammunition stacked in committee rooms. A, a bunch of he had a whole regiment in civilian clothes, kind of milling around with the uh, with the weirdos outside. Um, and no matter how many people, apparently, just there were crowds of people trying to use. Quote, prayers, bribes, entreaties, oaths, and objurgations. Mm, objurgations. That always works, you'd think. Yeah. Like, if I'm trying to get into a building, I use an objurgation. Sure. Or if, if, if I'm trying to keep someone out of a building, I, I use objurgations. But the soldiers stood their ground, uh, despite a, apparently a, a prodigious amount of uh, profanity aimed at them. Winfield Scott warned that anybody who tried to interfere with the count of the electoral vote would be lashed to the muzzle of a 12-pounder and fired out the window of the Capitol. Ouch! I would, ma- I would manure the hills of Arlington with the fragments of his body. <laughs> and Great keep in mind, Ar- Arlington's not a cemetery yet. He's mm-hmm. literally saying, the hills over the river, yeah. I, will, I will spatter with blood. I am going to manure the ground <laughs> with your remains. I love manure as a verb. That is hot. Uh, Good curse. So people and people are leading citizens and ministers of other countries are packing into the gallery because they they assume that something crazy is going to happen. Uh, the Adams family, not the TV show, but Henry Adams family, uh, is afraid that somebody's going to try to attack Breckenridge while he carries the box of votes from the Senate to the House, just like to stage a theft, and then they could be like, "Oh well, I guess there's no votes. We're just going to have to put in Vice President Breckenridge and, and figure this out." Um, so it's it's a huge crowds of people, the vast majority of southern, of them Southern, um, but I guess it's all whispered. Lucius Chittenden, a, a Vermont politician who went on to serve in the Treasury Department and the Lincoln administration, said that, you know, it kind of looked like a, an ordinary gallery, and particularly the proceedings on the House floor just seemed quiet and normal, but everybody knew that, you know, there could be some... Julius Caesar type conspiracy happening in the wings. Uh, and you can see there were some signs of it. For example, uh, during the prayer by the chaplain opening the proceedings, uh, an angry Virginian senator stomped out and denounced the proceedings during the prayer. Wow. Come on. Hey, at least let the prayer conclude. The, so the House welcomes the Senate. I guess it was the, the bodies were small enough that the whole Senate could just walk into the House at the time. Right. Uh, to uh, you know, just like having having friends over. How many states were in the Union at the time of the Civil War? There were thirty four. Oh, states. Oh, so many. If you count the uh, if you count the fifteen 
slave states, that so, many of which would secede. 70 senators and, and um, more congressmen. 34 states. Yeah. And the core, of, the core of what happens here is that apparently John Breckinridge was a stand-up guy. Even though he could have been president, his pro-slavery platform could have taken over the country in a coup d'etat. It came down to him having a personal sense of honor? Uh, a senator from Massachusetts cr- later credited him with just the dignity and propriety of, even though he could not have disagreed more with the results, uh, making sure that the count was done officially and certified Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so it, it took two hours start to finish, and Breckinridge uh, duly certified the election. And then there was a huge shout, shouting in the chamber uh Taunting Lincoln, cheering for Jefferson Davis, who I guess by this time must have been publicly known as the the leader of the what would become the Confederacy, and most prominently, uh, anger toward Winfield Scott, traitor to the state of his birth, free state pimp, a Virginian turning against uh, turning against his own people by preventing a, a Southern coup. But Breckinridge did it. He. Uh, he did his job, and he got Lincoln elected, and as a result, I mean, you can imagine how history might have been different yeah. in a world where the South is running the Civil War from Washington, D.C., and Lincoln's got a government in exile somewhere in the North. It, they, the South would have still have to, have had to have confronted an industrialized North that they couldn't have competed with in terms of manufacturing, but, but if they had England right, recognizing the their sovereignty, I wonder if the Northern states would have then just formed a new nation under God, indivisible, indivisible finally, indivisible. <laughs> this time, indivisible, we mean it. Like, and just call it, what would they have called it? They can't have United States. That's no. the problem. It, so you've, could, lost the, the, you've lost the franchise. It would have been Yankee states or... or um, I mean, there's not a lot of good names left. Northern Alliance? I mean, I think about this a lot with regard to D.C. statehood today. I mean, this is a, this is a live issue today. Right. Uh, what, would they, what are they going to call the new state? Washington is taken. Columbia. It would be Columbia, right? Yeah. Um, but again, that's, that's kind of weird, too. Call it Columbia? Well, it sounds like, it's a, sounds like a South American country. We all, we all know where Columbia is. Interesting. And True. It's, and it's not... Or what do you think about D.C. statehood? Are you in favor? Uh, I feel like if we're going to have DC statehood, we should also have Puerto Rico statehood. Sure. Bring them both in. I like it. I like, I like there to be an even number of states. Really? Because, and and what, what do you think? (laughs) Tell me about the worst times in your life when there were an odd number of states. The problem is that 51, uh, 51 is a, is a, uh, is a a prime number. It is not. It's divisible by three and 17. (laughs) I know I'm 51 years old. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, no, the problem is just that, uh, yeah, you, you, Alaska was the 49th state. And so I grew up, I grew up, uh, with that being on all of our letterheads and it was Hawaii that completed the circle. You thought it was insulting. Hawaii made us the 50th state. But you got in ahead of them at least. We did, but there, you know, that that was kind of the prestige. I think when they admitted the Dakotas, they actually switched up the paper so that Cleveland didn't know which one he was signing first. So that neither Dakota could could brag that it was uh, in the union older than the other one. Is that still true that the Dakotas are? I think to this day we do not know. We don't know which one. Which which Dakota is which number state? Oh, that's a that's interesting. Yeah, the 49th state. I mean, it has a certain ring to it, 
But, you know, then Hawaii comes in behind and it's like you get, you end up, you're a footnote, right? Whereas. Well, it's kind of like on Omnibus. Did you, did you realize you do all the even numbered shows? Oh, sure. Just, of course. Just uh, last week you recorded our 300th entry. And I will never get an anniversary show because I only do odd numbers. Well, but I'll never get a prime number show. That's true. I get all the primes. You get the primes. I get 69. You get 420. Yep. It's That's fair. It all evens out. And that concludes Washington CSA. Entry 1412.MT1225, certificate number 15899, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in case there remains any question, Ken and I are against slavery. A lot of you are going to write to ask, are you guys really against slavery or were you doing a bit? The entire time we've been against slavery, it's not something we just came around to. Uh, It's something we've known from the very beginning. Uh, In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era. Um, It will only be as a result of the widespread condemnation of the institution of social media. Wait a minute. I, I got that all backwards. Social media exists now. And we hope... Widespread condemnation will what? Eliminate it or reform it? Social media will only exist in the future if it has been reformed by the efforts of our people now. It will only be reformed over my strenuous objurgations. Well, you only objurgate because social media serves your nefarious purposes now by rewarding you for your every fart. But I still hate it. Yeah. Anyway, we're at Omnibus Project on all the all the uh, social medias. Uh, he's at Ken Jennings. I'm at John Roderick. We're both objurgating constantly. Online and off. Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can join us and our many friends on Facebook at the Futurelings fan page and also on Reddit and Skype and Zoom. Just look for the Futurelings. Uh, You can mail us actual mail, real physical items of any kind. Your Confederate States of America belt buckles, your... Soft cheeses, your your electric guitar picks. Uh, the uh, we just got a. I just opened some mail from Eric. Uh, he sent us an email saying I may have screwed up. Okay. <laughs> he sent us an email saying he may have screwed up, yes. and then here's the package. It's the package is a Ziploc bag that says they include some kind of green. Apparently, maybe moldy gunk. Moldy gunk. And a moldy card that says, you have been pooped on. Want to know by whom? Turn over. Do you want to open this up and turn over that card, John? No. I I really do not. No, no, no. He explains in his email. Put that back in that bag and and, and let's throw that immediately in the garbage. Uh, He explains that uh, he got it from a gag site where you can anonymously send packages of zoo animal poop to anyone you desire. I guess he was inspired by... By the pet, did we say in the Petoman show that you should send us poop-related mail? Oh, I don't, I don't, can't imagine we would have said that. Well, if we did, it really backfired on us because he sent us gorilla poop, but I guess uh, 
It, his, it, it sat in shipping for three the, months. And, well, he, well, yeah, I guess I should have opened it sooner because this gorilla poop has seen better days, if that's even possible. Very, very moldy. But he also says that he's been overrun with guilt that he sent us gorilla poop. His fiance thinks he's overthinking it, but he just wanted to apologize if we take offense at having received a weird-smelling bag of gorilla poop. Who is this? Who, what, what is this person's name? Eric. Eric, you should feel bad. You're, I am super mad at you. Your fiance is wrong. You are not overthinking this. Yeah, your, fian, your fiance has no idea the crime you've committed <laughs> against us. We would like to objurgate in the strongest <laughs> possible terms against anyone who sends us gorilla poop. I want to see what it says on the back of this card, but I do not want to touch this. I'm trying to read through the Ziploc bag. And through the poop. Yeah, the poop is kind of caked to the bag, and the, the card that I, presumably identifies the gorilla is kind of started to mold. Oh, it, the back, actually, it's a joke. It says, uh, we'll never tell. So I think the idea is you you get all your fingers covered in gorilla poop, oh. tr- trying to find out who, who sent you gorilla poop and why, and then the back of the card just owns you and... And lols. What a dirty prank, Eric. I I objurgate you. Uh, thank you, Eric, for sending us. Honestly, I'd rather I'd rather get gorilla poop than nothing. Okay, well then you take the gorilla. Poop. It's not a great uh, gift, but it's better than an empty mailbox. Last last week I got a book. Uh, I got a book about Mulvania that I'm going to keep. So you get the gorilla poop. <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh-huh. I get the even number shows. You get the odds. Um, one further thing. If uh, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our lengthy uh, lengthy outros and our uh, our constant apologia for slavery, no, I'm eating apple again. Um, you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject, and your financial contributions enable us to continue to do the show and give us very good feelings, warm feelings, and also entitle you to many rewards, including actual physical copies of the show notes. Um, the ability to recommend topics to us. Uh, Ken and I have done a handful of Zoom calls with with uh, contributors to the show. Where it's we fun. Met them in person and we said, hang out. Hello, high fives all around. It's as close to in person as you can get in the pandemic. Like the prize got better with the pandemic. Like That's the prize right. is now equivalent to an in person meeting. It's as good as it's going to get. Uh, so there are many perks, but also uh, the primary perk being that we keep doing the show every week and uh, and we appreciate you. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. What will be the next uh, even-numbered milestone that John gets to? Will he get to 400, 500, 1,000? We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. The end of the show could be us complaining about gorilla poop. And apologizing for slavery. Yeah, by the way, none of your donations will go to any organization's that uh, are bad on issues of race or slavery. Nope. We would never do that. We wouldn't do it. Uh, all donations uh, that we would make would be to the Southern Poverty Law Center or, or moral equivalent. Right. Um, we would not say, we might send gorilla poop to, 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 the, to, to the Nazis. Not to the Southern Poverty Law Center. But, no. But to, to hate groups. To hate groups. Gorilla poop goes to hate groups. And reparations money goes into a pool. I'm going to write this down. Okay. I don't want to get this backwards. I don't want to accidentally send reparations money to the to, to the, the Proud Boys. No, you don't. They, I don't want. We, the, we, I don't want the Boogaloo Boys or whatever their names are to be buying nicer vintage Hawaiian shirts. When Ken showed up at the house today, you know, I I have a collection of Hawaiian shirts, but I can't wear them out anymore because the Boogaloo's have stolen my valor. 
but I wear them around the house. They're my around the house shirts. There can't be that many boogaloos. It's not going to catch on. No, it's there's not. like eight boogaloos. No, and I, it's uh, the Hawaiian shirt will survive the boogaloos, but I but I don't wear them out right now because you know there's a there's a small cadre of of uh, female comedians in Los Angeles that that I want to like me, and I don't want them to yell at me for wearing my wearing the wrong shirt out. Gorilla poop looks like just grass. It does. The gr- it does. Gorillas just eat twigs, I guess. Uh, that's what it, when it, whenever I see a picture of a gorilla eating, it's always just eating ants off a twig or yeah, twigs that's off true. an it, ant. It is kind of chewing, uh, uh, studiously on a, some kind of a blade of grass or they're, twig. They're omnivores, right? Yes. That's why they're the official animal of omnibus. Hmm. Um, if Providence allows, we hope to return to you soon for another post-gorilla poop entry in the omnibus. 